So I blame lack of sex ed on the fact that I didn't become a mathematician to some extent. The world could have had a mathematician in Stephanie Shavara and now they don't. All right, we're ready. <laughs> ready. I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. And today we are talking about Catholic sex ed or <laughs> or lack thereof, which I think is more often the case. Or some weird, bizarro version of it. Mm-hmm. Follow us on social, Laps Podcast, on Instagram, Twitter. We have a Facebook you can follow. Since our last episode, our question episode, we've gotten a few more questions from folks. We're going to have to do another one soon, so please keep sending them in. Send those questions. We have even gotten a couple voice memos emailed to us at lapspodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait. Me neither. I'm very excited. If it were up to me, we would just do a bunch of more question episodes but I guess well it could be up to you <laughs> it could be we should talk about other things too we should okay we should do both <laughs> sounds true. good I have ultimate power no there are rules Stephanie I need rules <laughs> you're the one making the rules <laughs> I am not comfortable with that as we've established yeah so follow us on social please and we love hearing from you I actually I've been asking for uh catholic jokes mm-hmm so a friend of mine recently told me she heard one on a television episode recently. Ooh. A normal person, a non-Catholic, <laughs> if they're in their house <laughs> and the lights, like the, the light bulb burns out, mm -hmm. their reaction is, oh, I need to change the light bulb. Mm -hmm. But a Catholic, if they're sitting in the house and the light bulb goes out, their first reaction is, what did I do wrong? Because mm. it's not a I laugh when I heard it. You didn't laugh. Maybe it's not a good joke. I do feel like I, in the past, have thought a light out was like a ghost or something. Oh. Or like a message from beyond. I don't know if I saw it as an indictment of my behavior. I guess it was not so much the light bulb. It was just the metaphor for like Catholics always thinking I did something wrong. Right. The guilt stuff. Yeah. We can cut this Got joke. Plenty it was of that. not a very good joke. <laughs> Is the best oh. I've gotten so far. Do you have any Catholicism in the news for us, Steph? Oh my gosh. I have so much Catholicism. Oh, in good, because I don't have much. Oh, great. Okay. First of all, this is technically the news because every Sunday morning I do the New York Times crossword puzzle because I love them. It's the most Catholic crossword puzzle I've come across <laughs> recently. <laughs> so I'm going to give you there's three clues Catholic things in here, which is way more than Whoa. normal. So I'll give them to you and see if you can get them. Okay. Six letters, Francis's tenure. <sighs> see, I think only Catholics would know immediately. Francis, I was like, okay. I'll Papacy? Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Uh, this one is also six letters, birthplace of the Franciscan order. Oh. Six letters? Six letters. Oh, I can't even remember. Rem remember the man with all the animals? St. Francis. Oh, Assisi. There we go. You got uh, it. There we go. This is the one I had a hard time getting. Okay, this is seven letters. The jurisdiction of a Catholic church official. Um, diocese? No. That was a good one. So I'd start with a D, but no. 
<laughs> I put in diocese first. Yeah. That didn't work. Then I put in, I tried to put in deaconry and that did not work. <laughs> I like the creativity though. Do you want another answer? Yeah, just tell me. A deanery. Oh, I didn't know that. Never heard that word, I don't think. I feel like you have to have gone to like seminary <laughs> to know that one. It's Sunday times. It's deep cuts. So there must be some current or lapsed Catholics making those crossword puzzles. It's probably because we started doing this podcast, but I swear Jeopardy has gotten way more Catholic recently, too. <laughs> I don't know if this has happened for you. So the more we make this podcast, the more I have become like the go-to lapsed Catholic friend for people. Oh, yes. People just keep coming up to me and telling me stories. I had an emergency stuff. My my two neighbor mom friends who live on my block were out somewhere apparently I didn't know this I was at the park with my kid and I got an emergency text saying <laughs> quick the immaculate conception does it refer to Mary or Jesus well and I responded in all caps it is Mary Mm-hmm. Do you, you know that? Oh, yeah. I think it's like the ultimate trivia question. It is. It's a great one. A lot of Catholics don't even know it, I think. Right? Because she was born without original sin so that she could be a, a, a vessel. God was really planning on this. Like, he had spreadsheets. He figured it he out. Yeah, not just a five-year plan. It was like a... <laughs> <laughs> if you do the math, you know, it was like, a, who knows? I know. 50-ish year plan. Really good. I don't think this is in the Bible, but theoretically, her, her mother's name was Anne which is my, oh, my, my patron saint. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, it would have been like Hannah because, you know. Right. The Anne was not a little Anglo-y. It was not a name. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I got that like emergency text. And apparently they were out somewhere without much cell service. And these people came up to them and said, do you either have cell service or are you religious? Because we have a very important debate we're trying to settle. What an interesting option. <laughs> Cell service or religious? So I appreciated that this friend of mine did not Google, but she texted me. She was like, I know who to ask. And then I got another Catholic-related text from another non-Catholic friend later that day. And I just, I've become this person. I didn't mean to. People are coming up to me with their more twisted Catholic school stories. I'm not getting that as much, but... Mm. But also Catholics in the news or Catholicism in the news. Europe yes, has please. had a week. Let me mm. tell you. So have you heard about France? No. So France, always late to the sexual assault table. Mm. They're having their Catholic pedophile reckoning priest thing. They said an estimated 3,000 pedophiles in its ranks over the past 70 years. They've just released the report. Mm. So they're finally doing their due diligence in at least starting the research mm -hmm. and so france is uh they, they relate to like the me too movement they're late to a lot mm -hmm. german priests have defied the pope and are starting to bless same-sex unions i saw something about that a while ago because i think german priests were doing that and people were pushing the pope on it and francis is like uh yeah no you have to stop oh maybe this is an older article and yeah so germany's like i'm we'll, we'll do what we want <laughs> I appreciate that. I remember reading Forever Ago, Dan Savage, the the sex advice columnist. Yeah. I think when I read his book a very long time ago, his one about adopting their son, mm. he was raised Catholic in Chicago. He's one of those Northside Catholics. And his mom really wanted to get 
their son baptized and they ended up getting him baptized. And this priest also blessed their marriage or their, I think at the time they weren't even married. I think it wasn't even legal. I think he blessed their union, just threw that in there during the baptism. And Dan Savage wrote about how sort of touching he found that, but it wasn't something he had requested necessarily. Right. The priest who baptized my older son, because we are, my older son is Catholic. My younger one is Protestant. (laughs) He is a friend of our family. And when my, my older one was baptized, there's something he was explaining the different parts of the baptism. And one part was like the oil they use. And he said the only other time they would use that is, I guess, during holy orders. And he made like some joke about, you know, like if he ever decides to become a priest. And then he also said... I say that at the baptisms for girls, too, and everybody gasps, and I say, ah, report me to the Pope, see what happens. <laughs> I think he he's aware of my feminist proclivities, and so he was sort of doing that uh, for me, and I appreciated it. It's not even like I have a daughter where it would have been, you know, he had to kind right. of put that joke in there. I appreciated it. <laughs> Do you have any other news? Well, Edmonton Schools... His name, last name is Grandin. I think he was an archbishop. Maybe he was a pre- priest. There's a lot of buildings that bear the name Grandin in Canada, but he was real proponent of these residential schools. Mm. And so they're starting to take his name off of stuff. So if you're in Canada and you see the name Grandin, that's where it's from. There's a lot of mixed reviews like, yes, take it off, but the names they're replacing it with are still not all great. Mm. And then on top of that, there was like supposed to be this huge monetary settlement and it's turning out like there's a huge investigation going on that a lot of the quote unquote money was actually in-kind services and a lot of them to do with yes you guessed it educating people so they're like continuing to be like missionary driven even in their donations to have reparations for the harm their missionary work did Ew. so the reparations are like more harm they're not what the people have asked for that yeah. is for sure yeah. and that's kind of how reparations are supposed to work right is yeah it's not, it's not what you the oppressor or the person who wasn't affected mm-hmm. says it is it's what people need not what you think people need right so there's still a lot of work to be done over these schools and how people are going to forge a path forward yeah it's one of those things where i am just trying to listen and uh i feel like i don't get to have (laughs) in my own separate opinion it's the people affected are the ones who get to have the opinion and right it's my job to listen yeah there's a lot in the news if you want to listen through reading it's not hard to find the articles so uh two things one Mm -hmm. i want to i'm thinking about your joke some more (laughs) um about the light bulb because the thing is i feel like maybe it's too close to me that i can't even find it funny not with light bulbs but like i have noticed and this is i had not connected this to like catholic guilt but probably it is like if i hear someone talking about something with technology that doesn't work like oh yeah iPhones have this glitch where they do this or I'm having this issue with my browser and it does this and like yeah there's an issue with the technology my mind is always blown because I have always assumed that it was my fault that I did something wrong and I don't know how to do technology mm. like that is real like when something goes wrong I'm like oh it's probably user error me being the user who who error who erred rather than like there's something wrong with this thing right Yeah, that is real. Like, I just assume that it's me. That it's always you. 
Yeah, it's that belief or that learning uh, that you're inherently wrong or bad and that you have to find your way out of it through sacraments and prayer. I had one other thing. This is not in the news. This is a thing I have been thinking about since one of our episodes, since our Mm -hmm. communion episode. Yeah. So we were grappling a lot with this idea of consuming the body of Christ. Yes. And how weird it is and talking mm-hmm. about how creepy that metaphor is. Right. But several times since then, I think it started my son one night, my older son before bed was like being silly, pretending to be a monster. And he kept grabbing my hand and was like, I'm just going to take one little bite. Nom, nom, nom. And pretending yeah. to, to eat my hand. And that made me think of all the times when we have a baby How often you hear people say like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat him up, right? (laughs) We have that feeling. In fact, I remember when my older son was born, just this overwhelming feeling that my husband and I had of like, oh my gosh, I just love this thing in a way I didn't know how it was going to feel. And I remember Uh my husband looking sort of concerned and being like, I just, like, I love him so much. I like, I want to eat him. Like, I want (laughs) to eat him up. Whoa. Even my younger, recently, my toddler was like, I'm going to eat you for breakfast. That's what he told. He told my husband that Uh when you have babies and little kids, there's a lot of pretending to eat people up. Interesting. It happens so much. I was thinking it's like where the wild things are that I'll eat you up. I love you so, you know, that there is something in us that like wants to this pretend like I'm nom nom, like I'm going to eat your toes. And I was also thinking about because I breastfed both my kids Hmm. for a long time, Mm -hmm. which I didn't mean to be that person, but I just had kids who wanted to nurse for a long time. My child was eating something that was created by my body. Mm. And this thing where when a baby is first born, like I remember having my first son, babies cannot even have water. It's hazardous to them. I mean, you can get formula, but other than formula, especially designed in a lab for a baby, the only thing that will sustain them is was this thing that was coming from my body. Wow. So I had been thinking about all this. And then friend of the pod, Kay Creasel, mm-hmm. sent me something on or sent us something. And I have <laughs> our our Instagram on my phone. So it went to me. Right. From Rev Lizzie, who is on Instagram, and she's also on TikTok, which I, as an elder millennial, am only just starting to (laughs) understand and discover. She's an Episcopal priest. So is her husband, I believe. She was raised Catholic and her mom left Catholicism to become a minister in a Protestant denomination. And now Mm -hmm. she is also, but she was raised Catholic like up to a certain point. Right. And she is currently pregnant and wrote this whole thing about understanding. Obviously she's not Catholic. They don't believe in actual transubstantiation, but understanding that metaphor of eating the body of Christ differently when she is pregnant and has like this... Uh thing eating her from the inside placenta yes like like you're physically feeding this thing from your part of your body and then you're going to continue to do that once they show up in the world so I think if there was more of that overtly feminine imagery in the bible and there is a little bit I think somewhere they God is described as a breastfeeding mother someone can tell me if I'm right or wrong on that somewhere in the like well, Old Testament Kay mentioned those are like readings that happen not on Sundays right right too too scandalous but I think I remember like from my sophomore year of high school our teacher pointing out these verses where God is described as female or mother-like and I think one of those had to do with breastfeeding so you're saying like it would be it would make a lot more sense the whole concept of eating Jesus we call God she and talked about 
Mm-hmm. If the body of Christ was like a mother's body, that feels mm-hmm. something very different. Mother's milk. Yes. Those, I was mm-hmm. just thinking about that because I was like, yes, eating flesh sounds really gross, but like I'm going to nibble your toes and my child, you know, of yeah. my baby and my child nursing from my body. Those things mm-hmm. are like <laughs> not terrifying. They're, <laughs> they're really life giving and shared across humanity and cultures. About like reunification. Yeah. Anyway, that's just something I've been thinking about since our communion episode. That's like Catholicism and the Anne's brain news. Brain news. Yep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Stuff I'm grappling with. Trying to figure out my own where I stand religiously and spiritually. So I made right. a podcast to figure that out. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. <laughs> So I guess kind of speaking of pregnancy, <laughs> of pregnancy or of not trying to have a pregnancy or all of those things. Oh, God. Steph. Sex ed. I'm very curious because you were a CCD kid and then you went to Catholic high school, which is uh-huh. really where most of the sex ed I normally takes place, but possibly in middle school. So, yes, I just want to know, like, take me on the journey. Sex ed. Oh, my and- gosh. Okay. So I'm going to say this at the top. Most of my story is dark. Okay. So I'll put that out there. So yeah, I was a public school kid up until the last two months of eighth grade when we moved to Florida. Almost forgot. And my parents were like, Catholic school is the way. Not only did we move towards the end of my eighth grade year, I moved into a completely new culture on top of the new culture of Georgia to Florida and public school to Catholic school. And we had to temporarily live in a two-bedroom house and there were five people. Like there was a lot going on. Um, (laughs) It's a very remarkable time in my life. It's a good word for it. And it's yeah. extraordinary, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had already gotten sex ed multiple times. Again, with moving, there were some states that did some subjects at different years. So mm. I had repeat things. And so I had sex ed multiple times. Again, like when I was younger, more like health class basics of like how to take care of your own hygiene and what is happening and then more like sexual education. So I assumed (laughs) that everybody had gotten this already. (laughs) You would. You would assume that. Why not? I mean, my mom was the kind – she gave me the book like Our Bodies, Our Voices. Like she's Mm -hmm. a good mama and all of that. Like I knew things going into eighth grade. When I got to high school, I found out that we were not going to get sex education until our senior year. Well, I mean, I guess I it shouldn't be surprising, but yeah. no. And so, unsurprising, in my sophomore year, a girl I ate lunch with, she was like a periphery friend to me. She got pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that you you can get sex ed and get pregnant, but she became pregnant, and I found out that her family was kicking her out basically because of that and so I asked my mom if we could throw her a baby shower because it's like the least I can do for this person I'm not super close with but I was like we can at least like get her diapers and stuff like throw her a little party and we'll get her some supplies and my mom was like yes you're amazing I love you you're a great daughter you're so thoughtful blah blah she's like she was so supportive of the idea and like she threw it at her house my mom made all the food but I was super into math I know this is like a hard left turn in the story (laughs) all right I'm with you I loved math and I I thought I was gonna like pursue a career maybe in like the sciences and Hmm. stuff like I loved it 
So I was in my geometry teacher. I don't think I knew until this all went down. The young woman who got pregnant and was getting kicked out of her family, mm-hmm. it was my geometry teacher's niece. Mm. And she, when they found out I threw her a baby shower, like the hell I started going through in geometry <gasps> class. It was so bad. Like I was supposed to go into like an AP class the next year, but the same teacher. And I told my mom, like, I didn't want to do AP math anymore because I didn't want to be around this teacher. So I blame lack of sex ed on the fact that I didn't become a mathematician to some extent. The world could have had a mathematician in Stephanie Shavara and now they don't. I mean, my mom gets real angry when the story yeah. happens because she's like, this woman just like, why? She just picked on me after that. Oh, my God. And again, I was one of those moments being in Catholic school where I was like, wait, I thought the whole thing you were teaching me was like, be nice to people and help out those who are less fortunate. Also like, oh, I'm going to support my friend who is carrying a baby instead of having an abortion. Yeah. Like, if nothing well, else, if you're going to be just self-serving about your own stuff, Catholic Church. Right. And so that I was punished for what I thought was helping. I mean, I did lose touch. The school made her leave. Oh, my gosh. And I, ne- I didn't really talk to her after that for a variety of reasons. I lost touch with her. I don't think I ever met her baby or anything. I hope she's well. I really do. Yeah. But it was just, that was that was one of those huge disconnects for me from what I was hearing versus what was being done and enacted around me. So they made her leave the school. Like, yeah. oh, wow. I believe there were other people in my school that got pregnant. And again, I kept being like, why are you waiting till senior year to do the sex ed? Like, this is so mm-hmm. ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. here comes senior year, Anne. Oh my God. Senior year was such a shit show for so many reasons. We'll get into them over the course of our podcast. Guess which class, in within which class they taught sex ed? Was it theology? It was our theology teacher that taught us our sex ed. Me too. Oh, okay. This is a thing. I don't know. If it, I thought this was just my crazy I mean, school. what very little sex ed we had, if you could even call it that, yes, was in theology. So there's a lot that went horribly wrong, but... There was one huge moment. So this is my big like Catholic school story, I guess. Okay. I'm ready. He broke us up into groups and each group. Oh, right. And you were in a co-ed school too. So there was like another level of stuff happening. With like, I think anxiety happening, right? It's like (laughs) our students could get pregnant and they could impregnate each other. I mean, (gasps) everything was happening. Do you know if the father of the your friend's baby, was it, he another student at the school? No, I th- he was out of the okay. school as far as I'm I, just curious. No. I'm just curious if the boys who got girls pregnant were also kicked out. <laughs> You're crazy, Anne. <laughs> no. <sighs> so he broke us into groups and each group had to like present on an STD. You know, you get out your tri-board <laughs> tri- poster thing and just put up your images and have your science fair. Mm-hmm. Fun. <laughs> so much fun. Right before lunch. Oh my God. A dear friend of mine at the time, we lost touch later. The dear friend of mine in school was, I think he was completely out. I know he was out to me and he's out to a lot of people, but the only openly gay student at our Mm -hmm. school, I'm sure there were many more, but he was sitting behind me in these rows. And this one group was mostly football players. Oh my gosh. I just like, I can see all of their faces as I'm telling this story. Like, ugh. And they they were assigned HIV AIDS. Oh my gosh. And their presentation was the most homophobic, 
misinformed slew of garbage I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, I'll just say like gorillas and like (gasps) rape. All of it was like, oh my God, my heart is racing as I'm telling the story. I remember one of them saying something about like a gay man having sex with a monkey and then having sex with a woman to spread the disease. And it was a plague from God, like all of this stuff. This is 1998. This is not 1988. Right. Not that it was ever okay, but like, yeah, we know. Okay. I remember my face going red. I remember like clawing my desk and I'm like seething and I remember Mm -hmm. thinking okay well surely the teacher is going to say something or do something Mm -hmm. and they finished and he said thank you you can sit down and I I think I like blacked out with rage like I don't remember most of what happened but I stood up and I was like you're going to tell them they're wrong right and uh the teacher's like excuse me I was like you're going to tell them and everyone in this class that that was a hot garbage mess like mm-hmm. that was none of that was real and he was like stephanie sit down it's like i no, I, no <laughs> oh my and i started yelling and he threw erasers at <gasps> me. what the hell is happening steph i'm sorry i'm sorry this happened he was throwing erasers at me and i was like i just escalated because we all know that as teachers we are taught that a great classroom management strategy is to start pelting our students with erasers with flying out of control I remember him coming over to my desk and picking it up and slamming it. Wow. He was so mad at me for talking back. This is a teacher that got me detentions for like like a red dot on my white shoes or something. Like he was always picking hmm. on me. But especially because my friend was behind me and he had been getting picked on by these guys before, I just felt like I can't let this class period be over without us. I was just like, I'm done with yeah. this. Yeah. And after that, like, of course, they were like, you have to leave school right now and I I did and I went home I remember I went to this guy his name is Dennis who was my mentor he's a an incredible man I remember being red in the face and he was like look you they got you they got you angry like you can't let them get I was like this whole Mm. slew of entrance into my social justice work Dennis used that moment to like open my door about how to start having conversations as opposed to just getting mad but my parents stood completely by my side which was remarkable that's great my dad is much more diplomatic than my mother and I like we are hot fireballs of emotion I appreciate that but my dad was at first he was like don't sass people or not sass people but he's like you can't change anyone's minds by yelling and I was like I can't be quiet either and my dad always his big thing in life was always like stand up for what's right so Mm -hmm. well and also in that moment the point wasn't to change someone's mind it was like stand up for people in the room for your out friend and for other people who were probably closeted and for everyone to know that this is bullshit even if the people who right put that out there aren't gonna listen other students are listening and exactly I mean I don't know what the curriculum is now but that was like a hot story from the people in my class for a while I ultimately did not get in trouble and also the teacher ultimately did not get mm. in trouble nor did those students as far as I know no one had to like re-give a report no one had to apologize I mean the principal definitely took the teacher's side my dad did such a good job. And he called in his priest friend. It was like, no, Stephanie's right. Sometimes you need a priest in your corner. And I was really glad to have my dad's friend, Father Bob. We talked a little bit about this, I remember. And so I was like, is this all Catholics? Like, what the living mm-hmm. hell? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, <laughs> please. And of course, no people of the ministry were teaching any of these classes. This was just these crazy people's beliefs. So 
that's what I remember from sexual education in Catholic school. Right. I learned a lot. You know, it's crazy because I've heard so many stories from other people just this weekend. Again, we're talking about people coming up to you and telling stories. A friend came up and said their sex ed class, they were taught you can't even like watch a movie with a boy as a girl because, you know, that'll lead to sex. Like that was a big lesson. I mean, Netflix and chill. Maybe that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, One of my good friends in college had a nun bring a rose in. I don't know if you've heard this story. I think a lot of people had this experience. This one of these like metaphors. She held the rose up and was like, this petal is the first time you hold hands and rips it off. This is kissing, da-da-da. And they pull off a petal for each thing, and then they get just down to, like, nothing after. Like, the last petal is, and this is you sleeping with a boy before marriage. And this is you 50 years of marriage with a petalless, <laughs> crappy rose. Doesn't that sound amazing? Well, this is like, if you do this before marriage, what will you have to offer a husband? Yeah, but still you're going to do all that stuff, what, on your wedding night and then the rest of your life is just a crappy stem that's going to wither and die? Yeah, that was that was the sex education. Therefore, become a nun. I mean, I see. I guess. Yeah, sex will leave you thorny and brittle. Become a nun. And nuns wear a crown of thorns when they get, like, officially... I know there's like a bajillion sex. No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You wear a crown of thorns. My great-great-aunt was a nun in that... Somebody got the crown of thorns after she died because you get one when you, I think when you do your perpetual vows, you get a crown of thorns. Nuts. Just like your hubby, JC. Now you've got your own crown. Oh. hmm Wow. Wow. Well. <laughs> so I'm going to guess your uh, sex education class was not as loud. <laughs> Not quite. So, and we had it during freshman year. Oh, hey, well, that's a step forward. (laughs) So I went to all Catholic school. So I didn't understand the mechanics of sex. And I definitely had never heard about periods until I was like nine, I think. And my mom explained that. And then because nobody was talking about this in a health class or anything, I was convinced that I was the only person in the world who knew about periods. I remember my mom being like, don't you wonder what those commercials are for those pads? And I was like, no, I just assumed it didn't have to do with me. Like, I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. So I remember not only was it not covered in school, but I was like, am I the only person that knows that this period thing will happen to me one day? Oh, no. I remember being at my brother's friend's house and his older sister being like, their dog, this is this was the first time I knew someone else had heard of a period. Their dog was wearing a diaper. <gasps> I said, well, why is your dog wearing a diaper? And she said, do you know what a period is? And I was like, what? Yeah, like, yes. Wait, do you? You know? Like, wait, I thought I was the only one, me and my mom. I thought we were the only ones. And she was like, Yeah, our dog has her period. And I was like, Wait, dogs get periods? So then again, I had not even considered <laughs> that. That was a whole thing. Cause, like, you know, their yeah. dog wasn't spayed. I think they were going to, I don't know if they were going to breed her or breed. what. So slowly that happened a couple times. Our girl at school being like, Oh, so and so got her period. And I was like, Wait, okay, again, again, this exists. So even just like menstruation, the fact that anyone else knew about it was like, Oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not the only person in the whole world. Yeah, because nobody was talking. I mean, teachers didn't talk about it. And then in seventh grade, there was some kind of question box. So we must have been, I guess there was like, We're going to talk about sex now. There was apparently only one teacher who was willing to talk to us about it. 
and it was only for like one class period so they just had the girls sit and like hang out with another teacher and we just chatted that part was actually the part I remember the most it was great while the boys went and talked to like the one teacher who was willing to talk about sex Uh. and then we switched and the girls went and we could just ask questions here's a highlight I remember somebody asked if you are raped first of all just like I like explaining what is sex what are the mechanics it's like we're in seventh grade okay here are the we have 45 minutes so here's here's how sex works (laughs) here's how a baby's made here's what does rape mean here's what it means and someone said if you are raped are you still a virgin and the teacher just said unfortunately not unfortunately not that's the end of that question that was the end of the answer wow well you you so you had one 45 minute class I believe that's all I recall I think there was like something called family life or something in religion class but it didn't cover any did you have I'm assuming not but do you ever have to like do the whole like carry an egg or a sack of flour no never never I never did that either I thought that I think only people on TV did that. No, I worked at a high school where people were doing it and I was really, the kids were really excited and they like named their, I remember this boy telling me he had named his egg Devante and I was like, aww. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I was very excited. I was like, wait, this happens in real life. It was a public high school I was working at, but the kids were very cute with their eggs. Yeah, I think that would have been too promoting pregnancy at that point. Yeah, right. So yeah, that was junior high at my K through eight school was barely, barely touched on freshman year at my high school. So my sense of what was going on at the high school is that there were teachers who thought we should know about sex, but they Mm -hmm. were very limited in what they were allowed to say to us. I don't think that was everybody, but I think there was a contingency of adults at the school who were like, These girls need to know about birth control and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So freshman year, we had in our theology class, we had this little pink book that my friends and I from high school still talk about. It was just this little book sort of went through. This is what sex is. I don't think it talked about homosexuality at all, but it was like, this is how a baby is made kind of a thing. I remember it's talking about sexuality. Like, I think it was drawing on this larger like theology of the body from Pope Francis, where it said something about like your sexuality is part of who you are. And I specifically remember this part that said when mothers. Teresa was working with people she was expressing her sexuality and I was like that's interesting like I think it talked about like your sexuality being like part of your whole personhood and I was like there's something interesting there huh I don't know but also it didn't really go deeply into that idea anyway there was a chapter where it went through a bunch of birth control methods explained how it worked wow and then at the end of each paragraph said the catholic church doesn't approve of this because it's not open to life But it explained it. I think it was their low-key way of telling us about birth control. So at least we knew. Right. (laughs) There was no, like, demonstration of a condom or anything, but it was sort of like, this is, a condom is this. It does this. You know, a birth control pill is this. A diaphragm, et cetera. So that was there. It talked about skin hunger. It said that the reason that some teens want to have sex is because we have something called skin hunger. And one of the ways. I've never heard this phrase. And one of the ways that you could deal with skin hunger was to pet your dog. I remember that. What? It was just that you're wanting to touch another living thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Skin hunger. We all made lots of jokes about skin hunger. Uh, it I was would too. Fodder I'm going to for... do that all the rest of the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like if you're saying that just people need human contact, I think that is true. Yes. <laughs> like, like my child needs hugs and, you know, we need to shake hands with people and hug sometimes. But like yeah. that's very different than like Petting wanting to. Yeah. <laughs> or wanting to have sex with your partner or right. whatever. The pink book. We had it. 
And I think the next class had it. Anyway, at some point they got rid of it. I think it was probably the archdiocese didn't like what they were doing. I remember my homeroom teacher, who was the head of the theology department, kind of making a comment about pushback from the archdiocese about various things. They also, in Mm. senior year, we were talking about world religions and feminism and like watching different images of God in movies, including um, Alanis Morissette's God and Dogma, so which was like very exciting for me. So, you know, (laughs) the theology department was a mixed bag, but I think the people in charge were really trying to do something with it and actually like trying to teach us about sex. They got rid of the pink book probably when I was a junior. And then when I was a senior, a bunch of the sophomores got pregnant. I'm telling you, sophomore year, you got to be careful because and they didn't have the pink book. And I remember Uh. thinking like, oh, is that really where people are getting their information about about birth control? But like, yes, it was. Yes. And they had some lady who would come in and like and talk to us about sex and they had to bring her in to talk to them. And I believe her whole deal was like, don't have sex. You don't want to have sex with high school boys. They're not even good at it. Uh. That was her thing. (laughs) I mean, true. Uh, Yeah. I mean, we laughed, but it was like, oh, you know, again, still no birth control. She also would like give you a number to call if you found out you were pregnant. But now I realize and I did not realize this at the time. She was also, I believe, involved with a nonprofit that supported teen moms which mm. great, like are pregnant teens, which like a Catholic organization. So I, at the time I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, you know, so at least they were not like banishing them, right. Or kicking them out of schools, but um, mm-hmm. just shaming, just subtly shaming. You can be here, but we're just right. going to make you feel bad. But now I'm like, oh, they were an anti-abortion organization. But mm-hmm. honestly, abortion, I believe now at the high school I was at, there's like a pro-life club, but it wasn't being talked about as much in the news. I feel like um, it was kind of right yeah. after I got out of high school that I feel like maybe the Catholic church started getting very loud about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of like right wing making it a thing, exactly. right? It was making it political so they could get people to vote for them no matter what. Right. That's the whole deal with the politicization of abortion. But yeah, I think yeah, I was in high school in the, in the 90s. That wasn't really there yet. Mm-hmm. We were high on the steam coming out of the White House. So it was, I mean, now I'm, you know, learned a lot about, more about Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, when she was being disparaged, it was all about just like, ooh, sex. Right. Everywhere, oh, sex. yeah. And just lots <laughs> of shaming of her. And Oh, yeah. Of, Absolutely. You know, the guy with the power and right but yeah in the 90s that was the that was, that the was it sex story that's right it wasn't really yeah. about pro or anti-choice stuff mm-hmm. yeah so I do remember I think wait I asked you this at one point you said you didn't did you do Kairos your senior year a retreat called Kairos oh we did senior retreats we didn't okay call them. there's we one called Catholic Kairos enough. and there are Catholics across the nation who have done Kairos I've had people when I said I went to Catholic school saying, oh, did you do Kairos? Because it was like a big deal. And it was meaningful to me. Like it was yeah. it's a three-day retreat and it is really meaningful. And anyway, so I went through Kairos and then they asked people to go back as like Kairos leaders who you like lead mm-hmm. a, like facilitate. Honestly, I think that's when I fell in love with like facilitation. I was like, mm. I love facilitating groups of people talking about <laughs> things. <laughs> How can I do this for my whole life? So I went back as a Kairos leader and you had to give a speech on a certain topic. Like there were different topics assigned to different people. I had to give a talk on it. So I remember meeting in this little room with my theology teacher who ran Kairos and she started it out by saying, okay, you know, you're talking about your own life in this. If you are gay, you cannot talk about that as part of your Kairos talk. You can talk to me about it. I will talk to you about it, but you can't, you're not allowed wow. to talk about it. And if you've had an abortion, you cannot talk about it. Did she say why? 
I mean, I'm guessing why, but I know she named it. Yeah. So she did not say. I remember being very like, oh, oh, oh yeah, n- no, I'm not. Th- neither of those things because that hadn't even occurred to me. And I was not gay and I had not had an abortion. So those things did not occur to me. So I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. I mentioned that to my brother, I think much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much later. Like when we were both out of high school, I mentioned that offhand one day, like, oh, yeah, we were told we couldn't. And he was shocked because at his boys school, which was next door, he said several he knew a lot of guys who came out during their Kairos talk like that. They would. Ah. So I think um, our school had probably gotten pushback at some point and probably more so than the boys school because we were under greater scrutiny. And I think probably someone had come out as part of Kairos. And a parent was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And someone had probably talked about having an abortion and um, they had found out and a parent freaked out and the archdiocese freaked out and they weren't allowed to. We had to like put a stop to that. I will say at Kairos. So I was there twice. They had the same very elderly priest to do mass with us. He gave the exact same homily, which made me think that he gave the exact same homily every single retreat Mm -hmm. for every senior class. But the homily was about being at the bedside of this man who was dying to give him last rites. Mm -hmm. And the man said to him, why does God hate me? And he said, God doesn't hate you. Why do you think he hates you? And he said, because I'm gay. Gosh, I'm going to choke up thinking about this. It was the first time anyone and this was a priest. So it wasn't even like I feel like we got the sense that some teachers were actually we all thought that all the female teachers were dating each other and had lots Mm -hmm. of theories about who was gay already and I think a lot of them probably were or a decent number of them this was like definitely the first time a priest had been like god doesn't hate you if you're gay which sounds like again like we're talking about that low bar (laughs) thank you he doesn't hate me (laughs) it's not like you should be able to get married right but like he doesn't hate you right but that was his stock homily that he was giving to every senior class and I really do appreciate And he was a very elderly man. That's great. And I really appreciate that he was, he might've been gay himself. I have no idea, but I really appreciate that he did that. Right. But for those, sorry, this is just, we were driving to uh, abortion rights March yesterday. Oh yeah. We had to go from here to Ohio for it, which passed this house that was just covered in hateful flags. Every hateful flag you can imagine. And on the porch and in the lawn, there were a bunch of children. I was just like, was like, ugh. I want to scoop up all the children. Mm-hmm. For those kids that were raised maybe in a household like that, and they get to that senior homily, like it might be the first time they're told God doesn't hate a person because they're gay. Right. Right. And yeah. To hear that from a priest, like right before you're about to enter the world and be an adult. Mm-hmm. And from like an old, like it wasn't like, hey, young, hip youth minister priest. It was like a very old man, mm-hmm. this elderly priest who probably was like, screw it. What are they going to do? Get rid of right. me? <laughs> but that is like the central tenet, right? You're supposed to be love, uh, the unconditional love concept. That's supposed to be it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I mean, we were just not given other than that little pink book that they then got rid of. That was the degree of sex ed we got. And uh, yeah, I remember getting to college and A, joining a feminist group at college and they were like openly pro-choice and just being like, oh, I've never met anyone who's just loudly Mm pro-choice. I don't think I even had fully formed opinions on abortion. Honestly, I hadn't thought about it that much. I was just like, oh, I don't know. Sorry, my husband was just telling me that he he went to Catholic grade school, not high school. So he okay. and I flipped stories. Ugh. He said when he was about 11, his school like had a trip to DC and it was to do a pro-life rally. And he went and he said, I was like, did you believe that? He's like, I don't. He, I, he said he just sort of went because it was a trip to DC. <laughs> 
Like he didn't yeah. think about well, it. Well, and you're think- told that's what you're supposed to think. Yeah. You just go because of the class trip. I mean, for me, I definitely, I didn't have like a ton of anti, of like loudly anti-abortion people around me, I don't think. I just hadn't had anyone say like, we just unabashedly support a women's choice to have an abortion. Right. I was like, oh. Oh, you can just say that. You can just say that out loud. You don't have to be kind of quiet about it, you know? Right. And I remember like having a friend in college who told me that at her public high school in the Pacific Northwest, I believe, she had been like a peer mentor for Planned Parenthood or something and Mm -hmm. like taught sex, like not only had sex ed in her high school, but taught other kids. And I was like, wait, what? What? This was okay? (laughs) Like teachers were cool with this? Your parents? Like what? I just that just blew my mind that there was this whole other way that people were learning about sex out in the world. <laughs> There's not just tons of shame surrounding it. I don't understand Why? how this works. Um, oh, I also I think at one point we had to do <laughs> this is what the Internet was like. People were trying to figure out the Internet. And I specifically mm-hmm. remember I think we had to do a report on why you should wait till marriage to have sex. That was the report. That was <laughs> the, this is your conclusion. Not should you, but why you must. And they had us research it on the Internet. And I'm like, hold up. They told a bunch of us to go into the computer lab that we had at Which the time. Is mostly like just the encyclopedia and chat rooms. Right? And then go. Yeah. And then go on the Internet and type in sex. That's brilliant. <laughs> Have you met the internet? They hadn't. They didn't know. <laughs> this was it was in the year 2000, I believe, is what this mm, was. The year yeah. 2000. Ooh. So Steph. Yes. I went down a little bit of a an internet rabbit hole about. You typed in the word sex. I typed in the word sex <laughs> in my browser. Things got crazy. Uh, <laughs> I on the Catholic churches, sort of how they're currently talking about teaching sexuality. Yeah. Oh, love to know. Mm-hmm. So I landed on the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You know those guys who want to deny Biden communion, maybe. I've heard of them, yeah. Uh huh. So they've got a whole bit. All these celibate men. It's all celibate men. Like that. I don't normally. I will say up till now, I haven't gotten like really heated about stuff with the Catholic Church. I'm sort of like, mm. yeah, I knew it was this way, and yeah, it's kind of eye rolly, whatever. Right. Looking up this stuff is the first time that I was like, this is so. Like I just have always been like, yeah, it's messed up, but whatever. Just really looking at it, Ooh. like as a woman who's now had two children, has been pregnant, has gone through fertility stuff, has, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I got, I got pretty, got pretty heated. Oh, I got I, pretty angry scrolling. Whew. Okay, here we go. This is quite the topic. It really is. Emotions. Yeah, it really is. Okay. United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. I'll give you some highlights. So <laughs> they cover like everything on their website, like all the stuff, but one, they've got a page, God's plan for love and sexuality. That's what they call it. The plan that got a plan. none of these bishops are partaking in, supposedly, you know, except right. the one guy who's on Tinder. But so made in God's image. That's the first heading. So there's kind of four subheadings here. The first one is made in God's image. Mm-hmm. So it says in the book of Genesis, we read that man and woman are the unique crown of God's creation, made in God's image. OK, I want to think of this sentence in his image. Men and women have received the capacity to be in relationship with God and with each other in his image. His stuff, image. Man and woman. So we're gendering. We're gendering God. And we're saying woman was made in God's image. But God's a man. God's a he. And we're 
we haven't gotten to the part where we're denying transgender people exist. Right. I mean, but already like the dissonance. So women are absolutely women. Also, they are made in his image. And that all makes sense. <sighs> sure. Also, like, you don't have to use his. You could say God. You could just say God's image. You could just refrain from using gendered pronouns for God. And this would even make a slight bit more sense. Right. All right. <laughs> the next, I won't go into all. I just want to give you the, the gist of these subheadings. Okay. Male and female, he created them, colon, the gift of sexual difference. Here we go. Uh, okay. We're both the same person and now we're different. Okay, got it. Uh-huh. We're both in God's image, but we're very different. And God is a man. Here, you know what? I'll put it in the chat for you. You want to read it for me? Oh, I, I'm like nervous. Okay. <laughs> okay. Male and female is the twofold expression of human nature. Like human life itself, sexual difference is not arbitrary, but is willed by God. Men and women are equal in dignity and yet are different from one another in important ways, including in their bodies and how they relate to each other and to the world. How they relate to each other and to the world stuff. So this is not just that women and men are different and they, if you have a penis, we're going to get to that part if you, you know, you're a man, etc. <laughs> but like... You, you must relate to the world differently if you're a woman. There, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. You're supposed to act differently in your behavior based on your genitalia, basically. Okay. We can continue. Okay. <laughs> Through masculinity and femininity, because we got the two, mm -hmm. God has written into the human person a mutuality of one to the other. It's a lot of words that mean yeah. something, maybe. Okay. This points to the spousal meaning of the body whereby the human body is seen to be a gift see theology of the body okay that's a whole series of stuff written by jp the two mm -hmm. a spousal meaning okay john paul ii explains this as man and woman existing not merely side by side or together but also as called to exist mutually one for the other do you have thoughts about this? In my head, the song from um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch about the two, all the different genders rolled up in one ball is like singing in my head. <laughs> um, that's what's going on. But I, 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 the idea of a spousal meaning, like your body is there to be a spouse, is really upsetting to me. It's upsetting. Also, who's saying this to me? Oh, a person who chose never to be married in his entire life. A whole group yeah. of bishops who have chosen never to be married, but but somehow we're spousal, except when we absolutely are not allowed to have a spouse. And the idea that your body is created to exist one for the other, again, from people who are existing not to yeah. for their body. Like the only people in the of the cloth can be an independent person. Yeah, that is what it sounds like. But nuns are supposed to be obedient, so they are not independent. So it sounds like priests and bishops, etc. That's who's independent, right? Or they're or yeah. they're like living in sin because you're supposed to exist in mutuality. I mean, that's the way I'm reading it. Where's your where's your lady? You're not you're not whole unless you have a lady. You don't have a lady. Oops, sorry. You're not whole, but you're going to tell me how to live my life so this is okay i mean all this is not just the catholic church everyone what they're they're sort of saying between the lines too is like transgender identity doesn't exist i do want to yes. point out even before we get into trans people or non-binary people do you know the percentage of the population that is intersex meaning in some way physically ambiguous between what is considered quote 
male and female body. Do you know the percentage? I know it's way higher. I like was seeing something that's like way higher than I would have thought because it's so hushed up that I would think mm-hmm. closer to like two or three percent. Yeah. So it's between one and two percent of the population. You know okay. who else is also one or two percent of the population? Tell me. People like myself with red hair. So if you think about and this is obviously skewed for people like in Ireland or Scandinavia or who grew up on the southwest side of Chicago amongst the Irish. But if you are take a just random selection of a major American city like Chicago, et cetera, uh-huh. and you think about the number of redheads, the number of redheads that you know as a person is probably the number of intersex people you know. Mm. So just to start, they're denying essentially the humanity of a not insignificant selection of the population. It's as if they said everyone has blonde and brown hair and that's the way God made you. And just leaving out people with red hair. That's the number of people that they are excluding before you even get to a transgender identity. Right. That dual messaging of you were born in God's image, but if you're like, I know I am gay or trans or I am intersex, like I'm also wrong somehow, like, but how can I be both? Mm-hmm. Made in God's image and not accepted by God. But God, what, made a mistake? I don't fully know how you grapple with that. I mean, there's there's some excellent writing now about this transgender God identity because, you know, the idea that all genders are created in God's image, meaning that God mm-hmm. is, encompasses all genders. But Catholic Church don't is angels not. angels have like, well, from Tony Kushner's Angels in America, I learned like angels have like 18 vaginas and penises, but I'm not and sure. And a bunch of eyeballs correct. and like flames. I don't, I know that there's lots of eyeballs and flames in their description. In the- <laughs> right. Like they are wild. They're not beautiful cherubim. We have to do an yeah. episode on angels because I, I need to do some research personally because I'm so fascinated. Yeah. This idea of like a sweet little angel. No. Ah, the actual biblical angels would be terrifying. Yes. So I don't understand how that all exists. And those are God's first chosen creations, right? The angels. And they're all over the place. I don't know. Lots of eyeballs and flames. Uh, And vaginas. So (laughs) this section goes on to say that human sexuality is woven into the fabric of each man and woman. It carries within it the power of love and life and is the human source of the most basic relationships as members of a family. Again, it's the most basic relationships. The people telling me this have opted out of that whole deal. This is a Pope Francis quote. It needs to be emphasized that biological sex and the sociocultural role of sex, gender, can be distinguished but not separated. So not separated? This is such Pope Francis stuff. You're like, yeah. Ugh. He's like, yes, yeah, sex and gender are two different things. Yes, but you can't separate them. If you have a vagina, you're definitely female gender. And there it goes. Again, erasure of intersex people. Yes. No, let's not even talk about it. Let's see. What else they got? They say, called to love, to communion. Uh, God is love. All right. I'm with you. Okay. He, why are we saying he? He's the blessed trinity, a communion of three divine persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, continuously giving and receiving love to one another. So I just want to point out, we have asked, what do you think about sex? And they are waxing poetic on the trinity. Like, get to sex, the sex and the marriage part. What are you talking about? Right. God calls all people to communion with him and with each other through the church, the body of Christ. Still not talking about marriage. We live out this call to communion in various ways, whether as clergy, consecrated religious married person, or the single state, in families, friendships, in the parish, and religious community, with colleagues at work, among fellow citizens. Um, so, okay. The part about like all of these ways of being being valid, that it's mm-hmm. okay if you're married or you're unmarried. Mm-hmm. Or you choose to become a clergy person or not. Like, I appreciate that piece of it, right? 
Mm-hmm. But it's the thing of this prescribed, this is how and when and you may or may not have sex based on these. And the whole erasure of gay people or anyone who exists outside the binary. That's the part. <sighs> that's the part that's exhausting. It says marriage is the icon of God's love for us. And then they go into a whole thing about chastity, which, you know, chastity, I think I've always, I, this is something I maybe need to understand more. I need to have someone explain to us because I've thought of chastity as the same as celibacy, but chastity is supposed to, I think chastity actually just involves having really stringent rules around sex in your life. Oh. Yeah. So it's beyond just not having sex. It's like, I think you, the idea is you can still be chaste. If being chaste can also be like having sex in a marriage while being open to children. Like that is considered chastity too. I don't know. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. That I got to look into. And then they talk about marriage. Marriage, a unique communion of persons. They say the intimate partnership of life and the love that God designed for marriage has its own unique characteristics. Husband and wife are called to form a permanent communion of persons. Uh, Second, spouses are called to be stewards of the gift of life, meaning have lots of babies. They are to welcome children generously to their marital union. So I did a couple things. Uh, mm-hmm. I was curious about infertility, especially in a situation where, say, someone is um, a practicing Catholic, is unmarried, wants to be married, but knows they cannot have children. Like, what happens then? Because those people exist. I've known such people. So according to CatholicStraightAnswers.com, no pun intended with the straight answers, although it did make me chuckle. An infertile person can get married, but an impotent person, meaning a man basically, who cannot physically have sexual intercourse cannot. In the Catholic Church? Yes. This is what it says. But a woman who cannot have a child can get married? If you are just incapable of conceiving a child and you know that, right. you can still get married. And I don't know why, because that uh, that's good, but it does not line up with their theology. Also, this is the part where if this was a class, I would raise my hand and say, hey, but didn't it Mary and Joseph never consummate their relationship according to the Catholic Church? So what the hell, dude? Yeah. Our favorite mom in the whole all of everywhere never had sex in her marriage. So was her marriage invalid? The concept of like, you're not allowed to be married. I- if you're like physically you have to have sex if you're married you must you absolutely must not if you're not married but you absolutely must if you are (sighs) i just don't under i just don't understand how you go about telling people they are good or loved god is love and yet but you're you no you're not deserving Mm -mm. you for a biological condition don't get it if you're not a straight person who can have sex and is willing to do that and is cisgender not intersex then sorry you're out all these bishops need to get some hobbies that's all i need to say like they need to relax a bunch of dudes who theoretically have never had sex themselves have never perhaps have a, I mean I guess people can date before they decide to go to seminary but many of them probably have never had romantic relationships or if they have they've been illicit there is one type of sort of birth control that you are allowed in the Catholic Church do you know what it is timing mm-hmm the rhythm method. So they're very forcefully they they are very clear that it is not called the rhythm method. Um, It's natural family planning is what the church calls it. Oh, right. The secular way of talking about this. There's a book I've been reading called Fertility Awareness Method. So a lot of people run into this 
type of stuff. People with uteruses, uteri, I don't know, run into this type of information when they are doing the opposite, which is when they are trying to get trying. pregnant. Trying, yeah. It's tracking your cycle. So it's using physical signs from your body, including like taking your temperature every morning with a basal thermometer. It tells you when you're ovulating and tracking your cycle and all these things. But it's to do the opposite, right? So if you are doing it the Catholic way, it's saying you're abstaining while you are fertile. Right. If you are doing it the secular way, someone could like use a condom during that time. Mm -hmm. So this is a valid method of birth control. I Mm -hmm. have no issue with it. No. It's fine for someone who wants to do that. But according to the Catholic Church, that is the only allowed method of contraception. It takes a lot of time and energy to do it with any kind of accuracy. And you know who doesn't have lots of time and energy? People with lots of children. (laughs) Yes. So if you have five kids and you're like, listen, I need to be done for financial, physical, emotional reasons. Right. The only thing that is allowed that doesn't make you a sinner is to spend lots and lots of time tracking your cycle. And and even then it's got, you know, a high irregularities or if you're breastfeeding, like you don't have a period, Mm -hmm. but you could be. Yes. Like I know people to whom that is happened (laughs) right you're breastfeeding or you just have irregular cycles you have some other physical issue i found this website that really this is the part the bishops had already got me angry this is the part that extra just so i found something called i don't recommend anyone looking at this link nfpoutreach.org a lot of the pages don't work now which makes me think nobody's keeping up this website fine by me awesome (sighs) assuming so it's basically supposed to be a place where like Learn everything you want to know about natural family planning. They will come to your parish and do workshops. They're pro-natural family planning. And everything about it is just angering and also creepy. They have four doctors who are involved, who are listed. Two of them are men, two of them are women. And then two old priests. And they're going into... Listen, if there's someone with whom I do not want to discuss my cycles, et cetera, and with who I'm pretty sure will have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about yeah, when I talk about my cycle, when I talk about fertility, when I talk about pregnancy, when I talk about all the weird stuff that happens to your body, when you're a person with mm-hmm. a uterus, when you're pregnant or not pregnant or after pregnancy, it's an old man priest. No, thank you. I would like to see I, – I would actually like some women to just go up to their priest after mass and as they're saying – Peace be with you. Have a great day. Just start chatting about your cycle. Yeah. Say, listen, I have some questions. My bleeding was extra heavy. My cervical fluid is like all <laughs> over the place. Some wet one day, dry the next. Tell me what I do. I was told you're the person to talk to about this. Ah! <laughs> there was a Q&A page that really put me over the edge. There's like a hundred questions on this page. So the first question, this is people writing in to these priests, I'm assuming. Maybe the doctors are involved. I don't know. The first one is like, uh, I have six kids and I don't want to have another baby because my husband is like no help at all. And they're like, your husband should help. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. They're like, your husband needs to change some diapers. So, okay, great. You're not going to fix that guy, but at least you're saying it. I don't know. Yeah. Then another question uh, is a woman writing in saying that her husband wants to get a vasectomy and he's not Catholic, but she is. And she is terrified he's going to get a vasectomy. And they're like, this, they're like, yes, to everything in your power to keep him from getting a vasectomy. This is God's will. It's not up to your husband. What? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're having sex without keeping those sperm inside. Mm-hmm. I also want to go back to the natural family planning thing and remind us all that masturbation is not allowed in the Catholic Church. So basically... Oh, we have a 
whole thing about that. We have to. And so, okay, let's go back to this imaginary family with five kids. Let's say one of them maybe has special needs. One of them is a tiny baby, etc. I mean, I have two kids and I think about big families and I don't even know because I'm barely holding my life together. And on top of that, imagine how strained a marriage is with a bunch of kids financially, just physically, just nobody's sleeping. Everyone is sick all the time. There's poopy diapers. And then you're going to say on top of that, on the off chance that you two feel like having sex with each other because you're exhausted and you're working different shifts, on the off chance that you actually feel like being intimate and maintaining a marriage for this family, oh, she's ovulating. You're not allowed to do anything about it. <laughs> Sorry. Just you better sleep on the couch tonight and and because you, you might accidentally have sex with your wife. <sighs> Uh, oh, this is the one, this is the one that I, I mean, I keep saying that, but honestly, this really made me very sad for this person. Um, this woman writes in and says that she's had three C-sections and she has chronic pain and her doctor has told her she should not have any more children that could be really dangerous to her. And she says she's not sure that natural family planning is, will be an effective enough method. Not if it's like medical. Yeah. He says, yeah, definitely do natural family planning. It sounds like you shouldn't have any children right now, but you might get better and that might change in the future. Your doctor might change his tune. So you definitely, you would never want to do anything that could harm that. And so you don't get your tubes dyed and don't even take birth control because it could affect your fertility in the future, which is not true. No. So he's telling this poor woman who's like physically, like to the point where, oh, I'd rather your life be at risk than you take a birth control pill or use a condom. That's the stance. The mother's life doesn't matter. I'd rather your children be left motherless than you, you know, use a condom now and again. Someone writes in and says, I don't, <laughs> probably someone like myself, this is all BS. Contraception will lead to fewer abortions. Isn't that what you want? Yeah. I agree with this person. They say no, that if you, this is their logic. If you encourage people to use contraception, they will have more sex. Not true. Not true. Not true. They'll have more sex and they'll have more accidental pregnancies. That more contraception will somehow lead to more accidental pregnancies. And then they say that the reason that Planned Parenthood, they say Planned Parenthood marches into these countries that don't have legal abortion. The first thing they do is hand out contraception because if they hand out contraception, people will have more sex and then they'll need more abortions. And that's their whole business model is upping the number of abortions because they know that contraception leads to more abortions. Mm, were they taught what contraceptives are <laughs> i mean that's like you can look at data and know that that is untrue that is just imp you can people sometimes say things out loud and think if they say things out loud or write them they are and accurate. say it angrily enough uh-huh but that is just objectively false illogical <laughs> It was interesting because I, I was like, oh, this is the kind of batshit logic that people are functioning on, uh -huh. that somehow birth control will lead to more abortions. And that's what the evil, maniacal leftists want. We just love abortions. We just love oh, it's medical shame. procedures and abortions. And so that's why we want people to have birth control, not because we want them to be in charge of when and how and whether they have a pregnancy. I stopped reading them because I was. This is was why too everyone needs to have sex ed before your senior year, <laughs> and from people people who know what like I don't know. It's like very basic math here. Ugh. This is the one topic when it comes to like Catholic school or being raised Catholic. It's mm, so maddening. Like I'm not just like angering. It is angering, but it's like it makes me feel like 
I'm crazy. Everyone's crazy. Like, what is happening? Well, and I feel like where I grew up, I mean, I didn't come from a place where everybody had giant families. I didn't grow up in an anti-birth control house. I never heard any kind of anti-birth control rhetoric coming from adults around me at all. And so I think it was just one of these things And the attitude was, oh, yeah, the church is so backwards in this. It's so ridiculous. And you just roll your eyes and you go to mass. But it's causing people like real world harm. Yeah. And even like getting birth control or access to birth control or an abortion when, you know, there's been stuff about Catholic institutions not covering it on their insurance or Mm -hmm. so many Catholic hospitals. Like you said, it really it it does impact people. I think with the Internet now, I, I don't know this for sure, but my sense is there is maybe more pressure. There's more of this push for like young Catholics because they're on the Internet and in these Catholic spaces. And there are mm-hmm. these voices that are saying like, yeah, no, birth control is anti-Catholic and you're not being a good Catholic if you're doing it. And it's really it's out there and they're getting that messaging out there more. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for families. I mean, their whole narrative is that somehow birth control and having sex that is not open to life is somehow like eating away at the sanctity of your marriage and your family where it is just the opposite you know what's bad for a family is financial strain and Mm -hmm. and not having enough time or resources or energy to care for the kids that you have the inability to be intimate and caring with your partner because you're so damn tired. Mm-hmm. But I talked about that old priest used to come and barge into our classroom and say, the reason parents are getting divorces is because both parents are working and you're exhausting them. So stop exhausting them so much. Such a constructive comment. It's super helpful. Mm-hmm. If your parents are getting divorced, it's probably your fault. And also like, yeah, you know what? Marriages are strained. Maybe we should like be working for a living wage. Maybe we should make sure people only have the number of kids they want. Those things will certainly help marriages. Yeah. Right. So this doctrine has no, and all of this, nothing is like, this is how to actually teach sexual education. It's just all about how you're serving God. Yeah. Okay. God created sex and it's it's holy, etc. but only in the context of a strict marriage in which people are open to having as many children as possible but even the loophole like the fertility loophole like I appreciate that they say like fine if you are infertile you can still get married but they're not acknowledging that everything they've said up till then really doesn't support that I'm guessing it's not getting explicit like this but does that website or anything say something about how like like oral sex or any other kind of sex is like allowed they don't even mention it okay yeah it's too much too explicit it's how like let's not even talk about it yeah because sex is all about baby making when the church talks right. about sex anything outside of that is we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist it's healthy anyway well thank you for all that research and i'm just like i gotta go like garden and pull up some weeds and get out some anger right now i know i know <laughs> i feel like i just so took this for granted as a young person i don't think i went into it like the church is absolutely correct about this stuff i definitely thought birth control is not evil like that never made sense to me right if anything it catholic school made sex more confusing than it needed to be injected a lot of more shame into it than needed to be there Mm -hmm. and just made me scared of it which is kind of the goal right with with this kind of rhetoric is just like oh you'll never get pregnant yeah like you'll get pregnant you'll get an std yes and so you should just not have sex 
till you're married. I don't know if anyone feels brave enough, but I would love it if any male identifying or raised male people have stories about what their sex ed was like, or if that was any different than what the messages we ladies received. I'd love to hear some of that because I'm surprised I did get a co-ed classroom when it came to that. I am very curious what the boys' school, what they were taught. I'd love to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Call in, leave us a voice memo. Mm-hmm. Tell us your experience. Please, please, please. Especially if you went to an all boys school. We'd love to hear it. Yes. Thank you. Well, I was hoping that we could highlight westfund.org. Ooh, I don't know that one. Uh, they are specifically for access to abortions for individuals in the West Texas area. Yeah. Like I said, I meant to a march yesterday in a rally for the right to access abortions organized by a lot of the women's march people and the anti-choice side was real sad so it made me happy there are only like five of them so westfund.org i would encourage especially after some of the conversations we've been having today that's perfect really important Mm -hmm. and if you want to do something nice for us for those who listen on apple i think we would still love some you know reviews some stars so leave us some reviews write a little blurb if you want we would love that Mm -hmm. thanks all right steph and (laughs) Also with you. Also with you.